What a wonderful day, right? So, we are leaving on a jet plane tomorrow morning at 6.50 in the morning. What an adventure, what a journey this has been. I want to thank you, church family, for your prayers, your patience with me. As we have gone through this whole process, you have been so encouraging. So many times you've, uh, you've sent little notes or uh, sent texts that encouraged us at the exact time we needed in light of the situation we were going through. We have uh, watched our God provide in amazing ways. Uh, even this week on Friday, we found out, I think it was Thursday or Friday, we found out that Samuel's ticket back was uh, $1,700. Uh, our plane tickets over there and back were $1,700. So uh, for some reason, we thought it would be half, but we were wrong, and it was double. So uh, the Lord, however, in his divine providence and grace, provided some more funds at the last minute from a local church, texted us and said, hey, we want to help you, and gave us $2,000. So I'm telling you, we have just watched the mighty hand of God just provide the whole thing, and we worship him for all that he has done. Can't wait for you to meet him. Can't wait for us to meet him. <laughs> uh, and in God's providence, we uh, are going to, ha he's going to come on Christmas Day uh, at 3.30 in the afternoon. So if he's awake, Lord willing, matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm debating how to do this. I'm hoping next week I will have a little video for you, uh, somehow sent to you. So for Christmas morning, y'all will get a, a glimpse of him. Or either live, either live as he's probably hopefully sleeping, or uh, maybe a video we can send. Don't promise though; you don't know what that day is going to be like. Uh, we have absolutely no idea. Y'all pray for him this week. This is going to be a huge uh, challenge for him. I remember reading uh, a book that I recommend all of you read, "Adopted for Life" by Russell Moore. He spoke of, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit in my adoption series, he spoke of the time when he got his two boys uh, from Ukraine, and as they drove away from the orphanage, they were screaming in the back of the windows, uh, uh, calling out for that home that they had lived in all their life and did not understand uh, the change. Uh, I am praying for a smoother transition than that, but at the same time, fully recognizing that this could be a, 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 a trying time. So y'all pray, please pray. Pray for our kids, too. Uh, this is definitely going to be a challenge for them. We are taking all of us, all six of us are flying, and we are going to be with the Gears for the first four days, five days, in their three-bedroom apartment. Uh, Fifteen of us. Uh, we, I asked the gears, I said, hey, you sure you don't want to get a hotel room one of those nights and we'll pay for it? And they said, no. So we're going to be sleeping in their little apartment, all of us together. Uh, and it's going to be a special time, though. I, I'm looking forward to it. All our kids are like, yay, this is going to be great. It's going to be fun for sure. So pray for us uh, for that, too. And uh, we will be in uh, the third largest city in China, 20 million people, uh, in uh, Guangzhou on New Year's Eve for three nights. Uh, so y'all pray for that, too. We'll hopefully see some fireworks and stuff there. China's famous for their fireworks. So uh, just have, we're going to have a, an amazing time, so pray for us, okay? Uh, if you have any questions, you're welcome to talk to me afterwards. I also have a, another announcement I kind of want to make public, and I, they did it on Facebook, but I'm going to go ahead and do it here too. Uh, the guy that read scripture for us, Old Testament scripture, 
is uh, served our community faithfully and has been an amazing servant of the Lord in our church. He's a deacon and a dear friend, and I love him so much, and I love his wife, and I love his kids, but they are now going to Alabama. They have gotten fully supported. They're going to Camp Victory, and we want to rejoice in what God has done. Stand up, Daniel and Stephanie. Give them a big hand. Yay! Awesome. So I think, I think they're going to be leaving three days after we get back, right? Get the stuff, yeah. So we will pray for them on those days and rejoicing in what the Lord's doing in you guys' life. Uh, thank you. I, I'm excited about, one of the things I'm really excited about our churches is we're all about children. You see that? Uh, their ministry and them going out and ministering to children in the camp ministry. And look at our church uh, filled with babies and kids everywhere. Uh, this is what it's all about, right? Making disciples and sharing the gospel around the world. Uh, what a God we serve. Look over at your Bibles. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter has laid out clearly the vertical relationship between God and his children. He did that in that opening doxology. A praise to God for saving his children, us who believe. We have seen that we are delivered from sin. We are heirs according to promise. We are born from above. We trust him through trials. And our faith is confirmed through refining fires that we experience in our trials. We are people who rejoice in Jesus no matter what happens. We are now in this new covenant relationship with God in Christ forever. Then in verse 13, Peter switches and transitions into application. This is how we live in light of this salvation we have. We, are we who are believers must be fixed on our coming hope revealed when Jesus comes. We must be fixed on that coming hope, that confident expectation that we are His children and we are going to be glorified with Him one day. We are children of God who are characterized by obedience and holiness. We reflect the holy God who has saved us. He is holy, so we are holy. We are children of God who address our Father with reverential fear, as we see in verse 17. We address as Father the one who impartially judges. We understand we will stand before Him one day as His children, not in fear of going to hell, but understanding that He will judge us and that there will be a giving out of rewards for those who diligently seek Him. We are resolved to live set apart lives by God, His redeemed, through the death of Christ. And we are called now to conduct ourselves in reverential fear as long as we live here as strangers and aliens in this world. Folks, we are a people who fear God, don't we? We understand He is holy and He is just and He is worthy of our worship. We live this set-apart life of reverential fear of God, knowing God has set us free from the power and penalty of sin. We are redeemed people, aren't we, believers? Jesus has purchased our freedom through His blood, His death for us. We are a set-free people, aren't we? We no longer are in bondage to sin. And all God's people say, isn't that good news? We are redeemed, and we can worship Him. We let off, left off last week with the glimpse of our Redeemer. Ultimately, it is our knowledge of Jesus that is our greatest motivation. It's our understanding of Him, knowing Him and enjoying Him, that will make you do crazy things, like fly to the other side of the world and adopt a little boy. Or move to South Alabama to be in a camp ministry. 
or whatever it might be. Again, it's our understanding of the Redeemer that causes us to do these things. Look at that glimpse again of our Redeemer in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. This is where we left off. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, through him, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There is no better subject than our Redeemer, right? <laughs> That's who we like to talk about. That's who, who we worship. That's who we think on. That's who we talk to. That's who we exalt. Our freedom came through Him. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is the reason we do what we do. Believers, we conduct ourselves in reverential fear of God because Jesus is our Redeemer. Our relationship and understanding of Him. If Him is what causes us to conduct ourselves in reverential fear. So let's look at a couple features from these verses of our Redeemer. Notice it says, He was foreknown. Jesus was foreknown. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world for the role of redemption. This was what He was ordained to be beforehand. He was chosen beforehand for this role of setting people free. We couldn't redeem ourselves, could we? We couldn't pay for what was necessary. No amount of riches or power or religious works could redeem us. It took His blood alone. And Jesus was marked out for this sacrificial role before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine? Think on that for a second. Meditate on that for a second. Jesus, for thousands of years, it was marked out that this is what he was going to do. He was going to come and die. He was going to be the Redeemer. This was the Trinity's predetermined plan. Look over at Acts 2. Remember, Peter said this in, the same, in his sermon, very similar. He said it. In his sermon on Pentecost, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It was God's predetermined plan for the Son to come into the world and be the Redeemer, the one who would die to pay for our sin. This is also similar to the words in Galatians 4 that Paul talks about, and he says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Oh, beloved, this is what we have. We have an amazing Savior, a wonderful Redeemer, right? So this is what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, when he says, But he has appeared, but Jesus has appeared in these last times. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Wow, what words. I tell you, we could meditate on these words forever, right? These are, this is our song, isn't it? This is what we're about. We're about him. Notice another feature of our Redeemer. He has appeared. Oh, good time for this, to reflect on this, right? He has been made manifest in human form in these last times. He is the incarnate God. God with us in human flesh. This is the perfect time of the year for us to meditate on the incarnation of God. Again, you all all know this. Christmas is so secularized and so messed up. It's got so many things out there that distract us, but from the whole reason why we really do worship at this time. We honor God. God sent His Son into the world. 
Jesus became a man. He's the incarnate God. Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus wasn't a ghost, as they said in the past. Jesus wasn't only a prophet. Jesus wasn't only a good religious man. That's what most of the world says nowadays, right? Jesus was God in flesh. He became a man. And all the events surrounding his incarnation should make us marvel. We should worship and honor him. He was miraculously placed in Mary. Do you understand? That means that at some point he was very, very small. He was born of a virgin. He was born in a stable because there was no room in an inn. He was laid in a feeding trough. Oh, folks, do you understand the sovereign God? In the foreknowledge of God ordained for his son to be laid in a feeding trough. Beloved, I know. You know this, right? When you, when you plan for your babies, all you women that are pregnant, several of you out there, you have this wonderful plan, don't you? You probably already have a cradle for him, don't you? Or her. You have, some of you even have full rooms for this child. Beautiful setup, and everything's beautiful in there, right? Jesus was laid in a feeding trough. The preparation for God was to have his son be born in a stable and laid in a manger. Wow. What humility, what amazing humility of our God. Can anyone say, I deserve better in light of that glorious truth? No, what a redeemer. He was exalted by the angels. He was visited by the lowly shepherds. He was visited by wise men from the east within that first two years. But very few of his own people even recognized or acknowledged him. He was taken to Egypt out of fear of the wicked Herod. He grew up in relative obscurity. Yet he was the incarnate God-man. What a redeemer. Jesus shows us what humility looks like from birth to death. The all-powerful God who created the universe and all that is in it became a baby. Grew up a humble carpenter's son. He did miracles and wonders during his ministry. And he was rejected by his own people, crucified by the Romans, and crushed by God for our sin and our iniquity. What a redeemer! That message alone should be enough to just drive us all to worship all day long, every day, right? It is about Him, isn't it? What a Redeemer. And He did it for His own. Notice it says, Jesus appeared for your sake. For the believer's sake. Everyone who has repented and trusted in Christ, he has done this. He has redeemed us. And every one of us have experienced uh, selfish people in our life, haven't we? Anybody experienced any selfish people this week? Yeah. Maybe some of us in the room have been selfish people this week, right? But there has been one. Only one that's walked this planet that have, has been selfless the entire life. The one who was not selfish his entire life. Can you imagine growing up with that? <laughs> growing up with him. I always meditate on this around Christmas time. The, you know, Jesus' half-brothers raised, raised with Jesus, the selfless one. If you raise children for long, you'll know it is an amazing event just to get them to be kind to each other for 24 hours. Selfishness is deep within all of our souls, isn't it? We are all about ourselves. For us to say something, and we did it for them, 
doesn't come natural, does it? But he did this for us. Wow. You can't tell me you're not loved. You are loved people. What a redeemer we have. Jesus took on flesh for us. He was crushed for us. He was beaten and crucified for us. Jesus is the selfless redeemer. So this fits with our context. So now we live conducting ourselves in fear and reverential honor of God, don't we? Because we have a redeemer. All of this was planned and carried out for our sake. So we walk and live and know that he is our redeemer. We are freed from sin and death. And we are redeemed and we live our different lives, a set-apart life because of our Redeemer. And notice the purpose of Jesus' redemption was so that your faith and hope are in God. Oh, as we meditate on Jesus and as we meditate on all that he has done, one thing becomes perfectly clear. We have no hope in any other than God himself. As we meditate in all that Christ has done and all that he is doing, there is one thing we look to, one being, and it is God. Our faith is in him and him alone. We are characterized by as people who trust in God. In his completed work and all that he has done for us in Christ, and we trust in him daily, don't we? We trust in Him for our lives. We trust in Him for our futures. We trust in Him for everything. Our faith is in Him completely. Why? Because our Redeemer did what He did. That was His purpose, is so that our faith and our hope would be in God and God alone. The incarnation, the holy life of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are what we trust in. How many of you sinned this week? You don't have to raise your hand. Man, I am so thankful it is not based on how holy and how perfect I am. Because I'd be in a lot of trouble. But we have a redeemer. We have a redeemer that we trust in. And he's enough, isn't he? You, you can take all the things of the world, but he is who we hold on to. Our faith is in Him, His perfect life, His atoning death, His resurrection from the dead. Now we trust in the living God, and notice also we are typified as people who have hope in God. Our confident expectation is not in the things of this world. It's not in any of those things. Our confident hope, our living hope that was already mentioned is in God. Why? Because Jesus. Jesus' resurrection and ascension guarantees glory for all who believe in him in the future. And our hope is based on, based entirely on the person and work of Jesus. So our lives should be characterized by faith and hope. Is your life characterized by faith and hope? Faith in God? Are you dependent upon him? Do you trust him? Do you enjoy him? Is your confidence in him? Do you understand that the world is filled with hopeless people? Everywhere we look, there's no hope. They need hope. I was thinking on this last night. Most of the time, they don't know that they don't need hope. Most time, they are completely clueless to what they need. I think of my little son. He's laying in a cradle right now. He has no idea what he's missing. He doesn't know what it means to not have a father or a mother. He doesn't know what it means to not have any siblings or any friends, that Christian friends that will actually be taught to love him and be kind to him. He doesn't know that he's missing an amazing Sunday school class back here that teaches him the Bible. He doesn't know that. But God, right? He redeemed us, and so we're going to 
trek all the way around the world and, to rescue this little guy. Grace Bible, let's, let's be about those outcasts. Let's be about those that don't have any hope. Let's be about those people that don't have faith. Tell them about the Redeemer. Share the Redeemer with your co-workers. Share the Redeemer with your lost loved ones. This is your time. You've got an excuse. The holidays talk about the incarnate God. Tell your families about him. Don't wake up Christmas morning with your kids and make it all about them. Wake up and make it all about Jesus. It's about Christ, isn't it? God's doing a great work, isn't he? He's bringing hope to this little boy. He's moving small mountains, seems to accomplish it. But the greatest mountain he moved is in this sinful man's heart here. See, folks, there is no way in the world when I was 21 years old would I have ever thought I would be doing what I'm doing today. Why? Because I'm a wicked, rebellious sinner. But God sent his son to die for this sinner and redeem me. Isn't this why we do what we do, believers? Everything we do is because he worked in us through Christ our Redeemer. There are billions more who need this message, don't they? I want to be a church that's all about it. Trust me, I am happy, joyful, but also very much grieving that Daniel and Stephanie are leaving. <laughs> I'm grieving. <laughs> Our community is going to be hurt by this to a degree. Because that man, he served as a sheriff and he did it with Christ his Lord. But the most important thing is that people get to know the Redeemer. And he is going to teach kids the Christ. <laughs> Praise God, right? So that calls all of us to step up a little bit more, right? And we all send him out with tears of joy, also understanding what? We have a responsibility to our community, don't we? Are you sharing the gospel with your community? That's what we need to be. Now we turn to this horizontal effects of this great work of God. Look at verses 22 to 25. Peter's going to say it starts first and foremost with God and our relationship with Him, and then He moves to our relationship with one another, those in the body of Christ. In verse 22, He states, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. In this passage, Peter introduces a cause and effect relationship. Salvation is the cause. Redemption, our new conversion is the cause. And love is the effect. The effect is sandwiched between two descriptions of the cause. If you look in verse 22, you have, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. And then the cause is then developed further. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So that's kind of the sandwich. That's the cause. 
And then you have, oops. And then you have the effect for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Because you have been born again, because that, love one another. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, love one another. That's the cause and effect. Let's look at the cause and focus in on that first. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul. In this uh, conversion, this explanation of the conversion, this cause... We see two sides. We see the human responsibility side and God's sovereignty side. Let's talk about those two sides. Human responsibility and God's sovereignty. First, the human side is seen in that first part. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Who purified your soul? Trick question. God or you? Yes, yes. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your soul. God purified your soul when you what? Obeyed Him. Since you, when you repented, when you trusted in Him. There's the human side where you are in obedience to the truth. This is another way of describing repentance. That you turn from your sin and that you obey the truth. The word of God, the gospel, the means of purification is our own obedience to the truth. Obedience is a compound word to listen under. Now again, this doesn't mean that you obey and so therefore you earn your salvation. It means that when you turn from your sins, you are purified by God. You did turn from your sins. I know a lot of people are afraid to say, receive Christ, believe in him, turn from your sins, because they think overly extreme Calvinism, think that I can't make that kind of command or that kind of offer and call people because they think God's sovereign over that. I'll just wait until God works in the heart. No, it's both. We, in obedience to the truth, turned to God, and our souls were purified. At the same time, God is sovereign over that because we, were, we turned, ultimately, because he birthed us anew, as we'll see. This is a repentant heart. This is what happens when we really believe in Christ. We turn from our sins and we trust in him. This word, again, obedience, means to listen under. Do y'all understand what obedience is? It is to submit willfully to the truth. To bow the knee. To humble the heart. To surrender to what God says and do what he says to do. This is what obedience is. Obedience is not just merely an intellectual change of mind. A lot of churches, a lot of churches in America preach this. That faith is just some kind of mental assent to facts and saying that Jesus is the one that died. Say that, affirm that, and you're good. But that is not what biblical repentance looks like. Biblical repentance is a submission and a surrender to and an embracing of the truth of who God is. That's why it has to come from a heart change. It can't come from just deciding on the whim, I'm going to do this by myself. God has to work in the heart to create this kind of obedience, a listening to, under the truth. We embrace the truth if we're true believers, right? And through our repentance, we are made right with God. And we are being made right with God. So that's the human responsibility side of the cause. Also, there's the God side of conversion. That's that bottom part. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. Here we see, for you have been born again. 
having been born again of an imperishable seed. God regenerated us, beloved. He gives us new hearts. That is, a heart re or regenerated by the Spirit of God. This is a new heart, and it is a seed, is what that word's talking about. We have a seed within us, a new life within us, within every believer. And God planted that heart, that new heart in us. And so what did we do? We obeyed the truth. We repented. The way God converted our heart establishes this new life in us. The way God birthed us, the way we were born again, the living and abiding word of God. Oh, I love this. I want you to think on this. I'll meditate on this. Some people say, I've got to... I've got to somehow convince people that God exists first. And then after I ex prove that God exists, then I'll pull out the Bible and talk to them about who God is. Let me explain something to you. That doesn't work. You know why? First of all, all people know that God exists. Everybody, even in those Foreign tribes where they've never heard the gospel, they still know that God exists. But their hearts are sinful and they suppress that truth. And they say there is no God or they say, I'm going to make a God in my own image and follow him. And by just trying to convince them that there is a God is not going to help them at all. You know why? Because the rebirth does not happen by philosophical arguments. It comes by the living and abiding word of God. When we preach this, this is what changes the heart. This is what makes a person go, Oh, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. And how do they hear it? Here, when you speak it. Oh, beloved, this is so important. The instrument God uses to produce the new heart is his word. That's it. It's his word. Life comes from the word of God. New life is produced by God's word. Like when... Uh, I, I, I messed up last week on something, and it's in my notes here. I messed up last week and told you Saul... It was during Saul that David said about the one that uh, he looks at the heart of man. It's actually David's older brother. Thanks, Ben, for reminding me afterwards. But here I had Elijah, and I'm, I'm, my mind is going crazy. I think it's Ezekiel. Yes, it is. When I, Ezekiel spoke to the dry bones, isn't it Ezekiel? Yeah, Ezekiel. Remember when he spoke to him? What did he say? Come to life. Arise. And they did, right? Why? Because he was a prophet speaking to the word of God to the dry dead bones, and they came to life. Now, that was a vision, but the point is the same. Look, how do dead people become living people? By hearing the word of God spoke to them. Now, again, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. You're going to be around your friends and family this week. You're going to be talking to some of them that are unbelievers, right? And the temptation might be, I just need to just be different. I need to live different. I just need to be kind and gracious. Yes, you need to be those things. But I'll, I'll tell you something. Go ahead and give them the gospel too. Share the good news of Christ. How many of you, beloved, have had this happen? You've had an uncle or an aunt or somebody that you love dearly. You loved him dearly. Die early. And you thought to yourself, oh, if I would have just spoke the truth to them. Right? Let's don't miss this opportunity. This is a great time of the year. You get to talk about Jesus. And most of the time they won't whack your head off for it. Talk about Christ. It's the living and abiding word of God. Call them. Turn to him and enjoy the Savior. Turn to him. This is a great opportunity. Let's do it, all right? Share him because it is the word of the gospel 
that converts the soul. This is how God has done it. He, that's the cause. He birthed us anew by the word of God. We repented and we obeyed the truth. And our hearts are purified. And so what's the effect? Here's the effect. You ready? It's real simple. For a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. The effects are numerous, aren't they? Of a converted heart. We know this, don't we, beloved? Our lives are changed when we trust in Christ, aren't they? But one could argue that this, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, are the two greatest commandments. And they are the two greatest privilege, privileges of all believers. Here it is, listen. We love the brethren. We are sacrificially committed to the brethren. Why are we converted? Answer, for sincere love of the brethren. The purpose of our conversion is an unhypocritical Philadelphia brotherly love. A sincere, unhypocritical love. It's not acting. It's not fake. It's genuine love for the brethren. This Philadelphia love or this brotherly love a community love, that is, that community love amongst the believers. There's a spiritual family love within the body, right? We know this, don't we? I love you guys. I love this church, y'all. I know you love me. I've seen it. Y'all have served and been so gracious and so loving. This is an effect of conversion. We love each other, don't we? We hear, I don't know about you, but I hear this way too often from people outside the church that they love God, but they don't go to church. You ever heard that one before? I love God, but I don't go to church. I, I, I can't do that church thing. There's some two major problems with that statement, okay? One of them, one, one is on our side on the evangelical church as a whole side. And that is, we don't have unhypocritical love towards each other. As a whole, many churches aren't taught the word of God, and I would argue that many of them have unbelievers within them. And so, therefore, there's this hypocritical love. It's a unsincere love for the brethren. It's that, you know, you go to church, you have the nice glitz and glamour, you have this beautiful... Taj Mahal of a building, you walk in, you have a nice coffee shop, and everybody smiles at you, right? And everybody's smiling, and everybody's happy until you see them in the workplace during the week, and they snap your head off. You're not like you were on Sunday. Oh, you were faking that. Why? Why? Because the Word of God is not taught enough. The Word of God is not taught. People don't do this verse and walk through a passage and understand what it says and get what the passage says. The Word has not transformed many hearts. And so we have a cultural Christianity which means absolutely nothing. It means I can smile at you and make a business deal with you. Have friends in the community. Boy, it's nice being in. But beloved, that's why the people say, I don't want that church thing. That's why a lot of people say that. But I want you to know, they have no excuse. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, is, they're going to stand before God on their own merit. And by the way, just to lay it out there, if they say they love God and they don't love the brethren, there is a major problem. They don't love God really, or they love a God they've made in their own mind period how do we know this because this cause and effect is there listen I know you guys love me you know how I know most of you I don't know everyone in the room but most of you know how I know you love me because you put up with me 
You put up my hand. Yeah, right. That was a good amen. That was a, that was a really good amen. Because you put up with me. You put up with my mistakes. You put up with my faults. There are times I'm listening to my sermons, you know, going through this doctoral program. I, I thought to myself, you poor people. You have to put up with me. But God, right? You are redeemed people that put up with your pastor. And we love each other even when we get on each other's nerves, don't we? I, I love when we get our, our groups together on Sunday afternoons. It's so cool to me. So awesome. So awesome. Because we come from so many various backgrounds and everything, and we still have a tendency to still get along. We still love each other. It's beautiful. It's brotherly love. And it's in Christ, isn't it? It's the effect of God's saving work in our hearts. So the so-called believers who say they love God but don't love the church have a huge problem. The cause hasn't happened, most likely. But we who are born again, we love in this covenant relationship that we have within the body. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we lay down our lives for one another. So you want to know real clearly, you want to know whether or not you're in the family of God. Whether you're a born-again child of God? Answer. Here it is. Do you obey that command? Is there obedience to the truth? Do you fervently love one another? There's the command. The, the obedience to the truth is in the cause, but then the command is given, fervently love one another from the heart. If you're born again... You will love the brethren. You will sacrificially lay your lives down for others. You want to know if you're saved? You want to know if you're born of God? Do you pray for your members, your fellow church members? Do you serve your fellow members? Do you sacrifice for your fellow church members? Do you share the gospel? And do you share in their pains and their trials? Do you weep with them when they're weeping? Do you rejoice with them when they're rejoicing? Do you give to them? Do you sacrifice for them? That's how you know whether you're born again. Don't we see this all the way through the New Testament? We see it all the way through 1 John, right? It's everywhere. How you love others reveals what your heart is all about. Are you fervently in, this is literally, you could translate this, intensely or passionately loving beyond what words can describe, sacrificially shocking people by your sacrificial love? Or are we more committed to ourselves? Hmm. Beloved, as believers in Christ, we who have been redeemed, our lives are no longer our own. We want to lay our lives down for others. Again, I've been shocked by the just the outpouring of love and grace and kindness. But again, I shouldn't be. Because you guys, this church has intensely, passionately loved our family in ways that I cannot describe. It's been amazing to me. Poor Jimmy commiserated with me on Saturday as I was hoping that the U.S. Postal Service would come through with our documents. Otherwise, we would not fly out on Monday. And the, and the brother did everything but called, well, he called the guy too called one of the guys and said, we need this package. And he prayed for me. And he encouraged me. Oh, man, what? This is fervent love right there, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And he's just one of many of you guys. All of you. Oh, so kind. So many. What a God, right? 
And where does it come from? It comes from our hearts. It comes from our hearts. What are those hearts? Those are those redeemed hearts. Those are those born-again hearts. You know, the world knows how to fake love, don't they? The world knows how to counterfeit love, make it look this way and change it, make it look like giving gifts, right? But pure, sincere, passionate love comes from hearts that are born again by the living and active Word of God. Those who know Christ Jesus. Those who understand this Redeemer. Those people love passionately from the heart. Not just with words, but by actions. Willing to lay down our lives for one another. Thank you, church. I want to encourage you. If you're here today and you don't understand that love, you haven't come to the place where you understand just how much God loved you, I want to encourage you, turn to Christ. He's the one that came into the world, lived the perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the dead to give us hope. He's our Redeemer, isn't He? And because of Him, because of Him, we now love one another. Let's pray. Father, we, we come today. We recognize that your word is good and it is what has caused our conversion. Our understanding of the glory of the gospel is what gives us joy and hope. And Oh God, help us now to faithfully serve you. Help our hope to be in you and you alone. Help us to love one another fervently from the heart, sacrificing and serving and honoring you. We pray, Lord, that as we start this new year, that we will be people of the word. For we know as we long for the pure milk of the word, we will grow in our understanding of you. Please help us, God.